0: This is an eavesdropping conversation. I'm Juliet Fraser, and I'm speaking today with Marlo Delara. Welcome, Marlo. Thanks. It's really nice to meet you at last. Yes, it's nice <laughs> to see you over Zoom. Um, I wonder if you can start by telling listeners just a little bit about yourself and about the music making that you do. Okay. Um, I love an origin story, right? <laughs> so, um,
1: <laughs> Because I'm a superhero, um, but <laughs> I I was born in Baltimore, um, Maryland in the U.S. and Baltimore in general has a very interesting culture to of like quite, uh, it's almost like a a living collage piece of a mixture of kitsch and its location to like almost fine to to fine art institutions as well, and um you know a love of lowbrow, you know John Waters. Also, like, more kind of outsider thinking, like the American Mm. Visionary Art Museum. Um, And then I love, like, the Baltimore Beats. So a lot of, like, there's a strong DJ culture. Mm -hmm. Um, Also very strong uh, religious communities as well, as far as, like, gospel. And and just a lot of public music-making experiences that are combined with live art experiences so I think I was already primed as a child to um, perceive and receive it and then try to make sense of it all because it wasn't it wasn't like other cities in some ways that don't have a a solidified uniform representation in the world right Mm -hmm. like it's a it was it's an underdog city so it can be messy it can be blurry (laughs) and it is happy to take whatever it, it can get so I think that combined with what I kind of grew into was a punk aesthetic and also a very, uh, I guess, using the terminology of the day, like woke um, yeah. <laughs> framework. Um, also in location to D.C. was how I was constantly aware of how people were using like public gathering and sounding or um public music making in response to uh what was happening in the world and oftentimes it, it definitely made a protest more fun mm-hmm. but you know it it became a very strong part of my work well or rather like a I I, I don't even just want to say like my, my life
0: mm-hmm.
1: I was part of the riot girl movement so um a lot of times it was having that ownership and that agency to create your own um piece to put out in the world, and I was always constantly fashioning what my voice was trying to ascertain in a lot yeah. of time, um, and the nature of, you know, the wonderful thing of access to Xerox machines and copy machines, that was just such a level of ownership, and I just kind of just kept on using that kind of technology, that kind of adapting from the copy machine to the uh, dictaphone with a radio to um, using four tracks in um, exploratory ways mm. and combining that also with my music training, which some people know and some people don't know, is that like I, I was trained as like a Suzuki cellist and okay, um, me too. also have some vocal training.
0: Yeah, isn't that fun?
1: Yeah. And we both use mostly our voice, you know? <laughs> <as our laughs> so, but I think when you're trained that way to look at music in this um, very embodied way, in some ways I think Suzuki kind of primed me for it went into my body you know yeah Um, and I think when you when you learn so young too it just it's like breathing um but but I also was quite keen on trying to uh try to figure out and even to this day still like what what is my particular voice and how does that um harmonize or uh complicate sonic fields of other mm-hmm. people putting voices out there so that's kind of my origin story is that I I've always been a maker of sorts um and a multimedia artist working from multiple sources who's constantly fed by uh any type of uh media consumption from a uh, posting you know to pen pals and and zines to a more uh deciphering uh, mainstream news or something like that.
0: Mm-hmm. So you so you mentioned Baltimore, but you're you're now based in LA, is that right? Yes. So I came to LA because I was uh, an
1: artist in residence for the Summer Institute at Cal Arts last June, and I was just very inspired because a lot of people were saying that where where do you go in the US now for uh, kind of challenging contemporary art? Mm-hmm. And I think previously. People always thought New York, New York, New York, or or video or film, kind of more so Miami. And then now it's people are coming back to LA, but now I don't know what
0: will happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so you don't know <laughs> how long you're going to be there. <laughs> right, exactly. Okay. You mentioned two two subjects in your origin story, which I'd like to pick up on a bit. So one would be the way that the political feeds into your your art making and the other would be technology um so maybe maybe we start with the technology and i'm just i'm wondering what the technologies are that you're exploring at the moment in your work you know it's so funny um so much of my
1: relationship to technology has to do with uh how i grapple with like my personal imposter syndrome Mm. um because part of it is i have this you know like punk diy aesthetic but a lot of it also has to do with um, limited access to materials or even um, psychological warfare that's played in those arenas of trying to learn how to do it without having um, being mansplained everything yeah um, but nowadays, you know with skill shares and well, what technology has done for a lot of uh, artists who or women artists who felt like they were kind of barred from entering those arenas or felt like they were getting these uh, waves of like, kind of passive aggression of you don't belong here. Um, I definitely had to push away at times, like I would go in and I would want to learn like, um, how to do um, plunder phonics and steal samples and manipulate them through software. But then I also didn't want to have to sit there and have someone try to tell me, like, do you know what a sample is? Mm -hmm. And I was like, do you know how you sound when you're talking to me? (laughs) i think you might maybe not i don't know um so right now um i've kind of returned to my roots working more with textures and also trying to connect that more with uh organic materials Mm -hmm. um which i think is kind of been a happy uh trend um in sound art um so like kelly jane jones she uh does a lot of work with uh crystals and rocks and um and then the return of the field recording is being more um, central. Mm-hmm. So um, I've been miking plants lately <laughs> and and a lot of uh, trying to work with sound sculptures that where the form um, allows for the space to improvise upon the sound. Mm-hmm. So for example, the couple pieces I did at the CalArt residencies were like these very vertical um, easels that uh, had different metal materials that I mic'd from several different locations and then put uh, several different motors on like small motors and different locations and by the different ways that I held the object it would sound differently Mm -hmm. and then I tend to also uh, like to work with uh, body sounds and breath and physiological sounds so um, I tend to try to get some kind of either my heartbeat or the sound of my own touching of my own bone, Mm -hmm. you know, or, um, I love the clavicle for that. That's great Mm -hmm. for that. Um,
0: or like teeth, uh, so stuff like that. Um, quite a lot of what you're talking about, um, feels quite personal or, um, specific to the person. So you talk about imposter syndrome, but you also talk about using your own own body how how much is gender at play within that oftentimes it's the barometer that's
1: that you're being measured by is not one that you or your communities were part of creating so um that imposter syndrome is generally i feel is laid upon the official histories of what's considered um classic who's considered a classic (laughs) right you know um But it's like who decided that uh, view? And then as we work with, you know, the multiplicity of voices and by accepting that that's something that we're working against but also creating and owning our space of voicing in our own specific tone. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, that's how we shift that barometer by insisting on making, right? By putting more out there and also doing it. This is one of the things is that we work a lot with in the feminist phase is the, you know, do we just do it in private? Right. But then like, but then to put it out there because the power of representation and visibility. So um, I know that's something that like by nature, I tend to be an introvert maker. I like to sit at home in a, you know, with my duvet and like, (laughs) you know, wrapped with like seven mics and I'll have all my stuff around, but then really it's going out there and showing other people like through my um anxiety <laughs> you know uh, uh, my stage fright uh so it kind of all works together of like how do we keep making knowing that the previous histories are going to have some kind of value scale that we don't, we're not part of and how do we create a new value mm. scale
0: i feel like i'm encountering quite a lot of um work at the moment that is really pushing forward vulnerability as a well I suppose as a as a medium for saying something new, but also as a as a medium for challenging challenging the classic exactly as you've said um and I think that I've encountered it mostly kind of in experimental new music circles but it is is that a broader trend would you say from the from the area that you're working in um, I would say that is- as far as like what, what
1: uh, is comfortable deeming itself as like feminist art practices mm-hmm. that uh, that and also embodied practices, yeah. I think vulnerability is just part of that, um, especially when movement, if you use your body instrument, your own body instrument, when people don't think of voice work as like body practice because it's actually the physiology of your air being pushed through vocal cords and you think about this how can it not be vulnerable when it's made of soft tissue you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) like how can it not be um, vulnerable when it's it has to be a living being in order to to actually create you know from that space
0: yeah so but it it had so many years of costume wrapped around it that's the problem with the voice I mean I'm thinking as a classical singer now but you know that vulnerability was um was buried between buried beneath wigs and and costumes and opera and staging and all this you know divorcing of the of the private private body and private personality of the singer from the role that they were playing
1: yes yes and that and that's the thing is what what happens when we just uh take away the uh orchestration in that level like mm-hmm. the visual orchestration that's why um I think I've been talking about this concept of like visual distraction as a layer of my, my sound and, and composition work. Yeah. Is that really it's what's happening on the oral, A-U-R-A-L field. Yeah. Right. But, and we have those, our voice or even just the sound of our natural breath, you can't help but like get in touch with that vulnerability mm-hmm. and humanity. But then, you know, when you're, I, you know, in my voice training too, I think that's why I didn't really enjoy opera training i could i could appreciate like a proper posture in order to get a certain tone mm-hmm. but i also very much appreciated disturbing my posture in order to get another tone
0: a different tone right yeah.
1: <laughs> so um and also just the again the, the protocol procedures the decorum yeah. of operating in yeah. those arenas is i found very
0: uh, oppressive yeah can I ask you about your moniker sure where did that come from and what it what does it mean what does it mean to you to have that there's there's several layers to it one
1: is that um it was in my late teens rather I was uh working with a several nutritional enthusiasts (laughs) and um we all were but like very like home cooking kind of people and we had a uh we all took on a vegetable name and we also were all experimental musicians and so we were kind of a vegetable orchestra um love it so that the that's where my heart was just playing with my other um my other carrot and cucumber collabs <laughs> um but for me I also personally chose the eggplant or the aubergine, um, because yeah. of the, my body issues or just like, I always felt like there was always this thing of being like, you have to be shaped like an hourglass. Women are shaped like an hourglass. And so as a child, I was like, well, what do women, what are women really shaped? Like, what am I really shaped? Like, what's my aunt really shaped? Like, and I was like, we're kind of shaped like an eggplant in <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> my family. We're eggplant shaped bodies, human bodies. And then, uh, I realized that the the eggplants that we had in my family were kind of like we had an array of different types of nightshade eggplants and so then there was the elongated like Chinese eggplant, and then the American Mm -hmm. or the more westernized form of the eggplant and I realized wow there's also a layer of like what the ethnic association of when you imagine this vegetable to be like what culturally locates you. So, and also I already had a bit of an androgynous first name. Um, so I kind of wanted to push on that a bit and see what happens when you refuse to have a, a gendered uh, persona. Mm-hmm. So, but mm-hmm. thank you for asking. Not many people ask. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's interesting. But that um, is part of the thing is like, it was really about like, how do I uh, locate my body? And like how do I how can I be proud of its uh roundness really
0: yeah I love the eggplant or the aubergine it's my favorite vegetable so (laughs) maybe that's why I ask just because I love it (laughs) well and it's one of the best sources of vitamin c is it I did not know that Um and so, do you distinguish using Marlowe Eggplant uh, for your performing from Marlow delara as your academic persona? so initially, um Marlowe
1: eggplant I used it just for my practice, right mm. I was like, I need to operate on in two levels because I didn't want my work to be associated with more of my Transgressive or more resistance-oriented work, because you know okay. you want you want to get a job. So that was the intention to keep them separate. And then I realized that that was a form of violence. Um, and again,
0: yourself.
1: yeah, and also a gendered violence that's put upon women is that okay. uh, while men can oftentimes in their public persona appear like complicated or eccentric, um, women are held under a different uh, lens. Therefore, if my work is narrative based, or or if my work is autobiographically oriented, it doesn't. It can. It needs to have all aspects of it. I can't. Yeah. It's the, It's that fine balance, so, and it was definitely something that over my dissertation, I kind of came to terms with, and I realized that when. Um, well, I was like, well, I just want to be Marlo Delar and have it all come up because it's too hard to look up, right? Like, and it had become already associated with uh, women's circles. And, of course, that's where I, my, my heart lives. Yeah. So I didn't want to leave that home. And also, I, I, I've always been a, quite fond of like the pseudonym for operating in what are considered kind of male-oriented arenas. I mean, at this point, I'm trying to stay fluid with it and work with it, but I think all of it needs to exist together. And that's mm-hmm. why I, I tend to vacillate between the two. And I, I will say, though, for, like the, for the physical form of my work, for like sound sculptures and things like that, or installations, I tend to
0: use my, um, my given name. Mm-hmm. Thinking ahead to the symposium, the theme of which is creative activism i mean you've talked a lot about how activism feeds into your work um, we're living under strange times at the moment with a lockdown because of the pandemic is is there any fruit in there for you in terms of activist motivation that's that's rising to the surface so
1: i'm i'm part of the uh, sonic cyber feminisms cohort Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we had this residency at uh, Weising, and um, it was so awesome. Just like a bunch of these thinking-making women all together in this space, making food for each other, caring for each other, talking about things that maybe they can not talk about publicly. Yeah. And one of, the, um, one of the things that came out of it was this re- reminder that part of why is is the term cybernetic right? That we're all networked, we're all connected. And despite whether or not the technological flavor that you always get from that, it's, it's really about like just connecting. Mm-hmm. And so at the end of the day, in some ways, like feminist collectivizing is is happening because there is there is no hierarchy to access in the same way. Right.
0: Um,
1: everyone's creating a platform and everyone's speaking into the multitudes. And and so, I, if anything, I feel like the thing that we get the most from this is that we all see that we all can be part of that conversation from our cameras on our phones or field recording from that, which a lot of people were like, oh, no, I need to get a Zoom or whatever, get the good <laughs> yeah. stuff. And I'm like, no, you, actually, you can use anything to make a voice to put out there. Yeah. Those channels can be created. You don't need to wait until someone lets you into that. So I feel like it's very empowering for the individual who feels like they can't, um, speak because they're not recognized already on some level. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar, familiar with Tara Rogers, um, work on mm-hmm. pink, pink noises? So it's this great book, which you would love. <laughs> and it's, a, um, it, it's, it was the first real like ethnography of women in kind of like, noise or experimental electronic music mm-hmm. so the introduction itself should just be like I don't know I, I feel like I I, I want to pet it when I read it you know it's just <laughs> like oh it's so rich and it really like talks about how like the the like even us going into the noise was originally a militaristic masculine um utterance on some level and she she used to have a it was based on a website that was called pink noises and I think it still exists pink org. um like it was women coming using technology and using BBSs and using um, the internet. it was kind of, to me, I really associate that with the how Riot Girls and how we Mm -hmm. networked in order to, and and for ladies and noise, especially, Mm -hmm. it did not, it could not have existed without the um, internet, even though it did, it originated from um, person to person contact of women going on tour, and me meeting other women on tour who were promoters or makers or whatever you know you secretly say like oh my god the sound guy was so (laughs) jerk to me or oh it was so hard for me to get that gig or when I first started improvising with the vegetable orchestra I was telling you about I was I was doing a lot of improv on uh, with percussive things so I was carrying like random a lot of like a broken drum kit and lots of weird objects and I, I went on tour and no one wanted to see a woman carry a full drum kit. Like, especially men were very uncomfortable with me carrying my gear. Really? And it really pissed me (laughs) off. Like, it really, really made me real, like, so mad. And I was like, you're not saying that to, like, the other guys. Like, the other guy who brought in his drum kit or, like, or the worst is when I'd be holding the kit and they would say, oh, like, you know, no girlfriends back here. And I'm like, no, we're actually (gasps) playing. You know? (laughs) Like, I'm not just... So... So that's, Ooh. you know, I'm just going to put that out there. Those stories mm. oftentimes don't, like, we don't really talk about that anymore. And I was actually thinking about maybe I should try to turn the Ladies in Noise podcast into more of those kind of backstories of well, where did this all come from? And right. it came back from those kind of encounters that aren't really talked about anymore.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, it makes for depressing listening, but maybe it's necessary to to get it out there.
1: Yeah. I mean, a lot has changed, but a lot hasn't as well.
0: Mm. Um, mm. I've got just one last question for you, Marlo, um, which is just to ask you what you're planning to share in lieu of what would have been the last event in the series on the 24th of April. Do you Have you got some plans for us? <laughs> I, I
1: do. I have two ideas because, you know, I really... I really wanted to have, you know, a proper performance-wise what I had yeah. imagined. But then I really do like the article I wrote mm. about sonic forms of resistance. So I I did this thing at Goldsmith one of uh, one of the first um sonic cyberfeminism talks which I called it like audio bricolage. And so I plan to use the source of my talk with sound and breath and maybe some effect so we'll
0: see we'll see what happens great well i'm really looking forward to it yeah thank you so much for um asking me to participate oh marlo it's such a pleasure it's it's such a pleasure um yeah i've been following your work for a couple of years now i guess since i was first introduced to it and um of course i'm so disappointed that we don't get to see and hear you live in the chapel and also that you don't get to see the chapel which is just such a gorgeous space but I'm really pleased that we're finding a way to share some of your work with people nonetheless. So for for listeners, we'll be posting something on the 24th of April as part of the final event in the series. So that'll be Marlo Delara, I think, as the second half, and Romina Lishka, who I interviewed last week as the first half. And then Marlo will be joining us also for the symposium Which is running on the twenty fifth and twenty sixth of April, on this theme of activism, Um, and I'm just so happy that you can be part of all of this. So thank you very much. It's a real pleasure to speak to you. I'm so
1: excited for you, Julia, to have this all to still be able to make all of this happen. It's a really wonderful series, and it's just such a blessing to see that it keeps on continuing
0: and getting attention. So. Good on you, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thanks so much for your support. Yeah, it's just great to have you involved. Thanks, Marlo.